Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello everyone and welcome back to More Than a Muse. I'm Stani. And I am Sadie and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. It is literally Halloween day. How cool is that? How cool. And it's our last episode for our More Than a Muse Monster Month. If this is the first episode you've happened to find, go back and listen to the other episodes we've done this month because they highlight the creators of Monsters or I guess a movie star who was in a lot of monstery movies and mm-hmm. it's roughly on it's that fun. theme. Yes. We covered Millicent Patrick who mm-hmm. created the creature of the Black Lagoon, like designed it, I guess is the right word. And then we also did Winona Ryder mm-hmm. who's been in like so many Halloween movies. Yes. So many with monsters. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about Mary Shelley. Author, author of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yes. It's been a good month. It has been a good month. And we will be having a bonus episode coming out here very soon, recapping our reading of Frankenstein. So check out for that. Which was a surprisingly lovely read. Like I figured I would like it, but I was a little worried because, you know, it's old. Yeah. It is an old book. Yeah, it is an old book. And sometimes old books are like kind of dry, kind of hard. This one's wonderful. No, It's like quick. It's easy to read easy to understand yeah I was I also am and was a big fan of it so I'm glad and I finally have read that book I like participating in culture and reading the big famous things it makes me feel like I actually know what I'm talking about when I'm like going on about how much I love Mary Shelley and stuff on the episode I agree, especially because with the podcast, a lot of the times, I feel like we talked about this at the beginning of the month, a lot mm-hmm. of the times we read a lot more stuff about the artist rather than actually like reading what they created or yes. like, like actually consuming their art. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was fun to like actually read the novel by Mary Shelley mm-hmm. instead of just talking about Mary Shelley. Exactly. It and- really fun. We've been doing our watch parties too this month. That also helped a lot with that. And I think that's something we'll continue to do whenever we have like some type of movie person we're covering or anything. We'll incorporate watching and partaking in their art as well as covering them and covering their stories because that's the whole point is enjoying their art. So definitely it is the whole point and it makes it fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've loved this month. I'm excited for next October already, just because I love October's I know. podcast. I already, like, <laughs> before we even started recording, you just mentioned a article that you found that, like, ties into this topic, but, like, could have been its own topic in of itself. And so I already was like, oh, my gosh, well, put that in the Google Doc for next October. 
seriously, we've got so many topics for Octobers and it just makes me happy. I love it so much. (laughs) Me too. Well, to start off the episode, have you made any art this month? Or this week. Ha, excuse me. (laughs) This month, yes. (laughs) But yeah, also this week. It was kind of a, it was a very busy week for me, but in a very different way than the past few have been. I've been doing a lot of photo shoots. So this week I was creating like the ad assets for a lot of the photo shoots I've done. Oh, cool. So it was a lot of like getting back videos and approving them. It was like making sure we have all the legal information on different ads I created and sending those off to get approved. Mm -hmm. So it was like... Art, but a lot of technical stuff yeah. too. So it didn't feel as artistically free flowing, but still like a very necessary part of it, right? That, <laughs> yes, that is the unfortunate necessary part of it because like (laughs) I released a song this week which is always fun actually today the day that we're recording this and Mm -hmm. I like leading up to a release is like all of like the nitty-gritty of like okay wait what am I gonna post and like what am I gonna do to promote it and it's just uh, unfortunately it's part of being an artist and figuring all that out so you gotta do it you gotta do it you do And it makes everything else work better. Like our launch won't work if I don't go through and approve everything and like send it all off to their respective legal teams and everything else. (laughs) It's how it goes. It is. um, Well, amazing. Should we dive into the topic? Do you want to explain what exactly our topic is today? Yes, I do. I'm trying to remember. Yes. So last December, we did an episode about like the women of like female like Christmas legends Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of like women associated with Christmas whereas in like United States and a lot of European culture we only think of Santa Mm -hmm. um and so when we were talking about monsters it got me thinking a lot about how there's a lot of legends and myths about female monsters even though they aren't depicted in modern media like you think of monsters now and I feel like the classic ones that come up are like the mummy, Frankenstein, um, Dracula, even like the creature from Black Lagoon. You know, they're all men or some form of man, you know? Yeah, no. And any woman monster a lot of the time is like Frankenstein's wife or like something like that associated with them. literally doesn't have a name along with Frankenstein. Like obviously he doesn't have one either really, but the bride of Frankenstein. Like she's not even like given a title or anything she's just like the bride bride. (laughs) yes so so obviously it's like kind of a weird phenomenon that Mm -hmm. tends to happen where we have all this like rich cultural folklore and heritage and yet it just disappears and only the men prevail (laughs) i wonder why that is we don't even get to be monsters it's almost like it's a reflection of our history and you know like Maybe there's a podcast that focuses on history of women that get erased. <laughs> Should we start that podcast? I don't know. <laughs> I think we're on it. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that's confusing. Yeah. But it's just crazy to see that it, like, reflects, you know, mm-hmm. that, like, women have been erased from history just as, like, legends of female monsters have been erased mm-hmm. from history. Very crazy. No, I agree. I really, really love this quote from... 
men have feared women for millennia. Just look at the monsters of Greek mythology. That was from the Smithsonian. Yes, from the Smithsonian. And the quote is, monsters reveal more about humans than one might think. As figments of the imagination, the alien, creepy crawly, fanged, winged, and otherwise terrifying creatures that populate myths have long helped societies define cultural boundaries and answer an age-old question, what counts as human and what counts as monstrous? And I really liked that quote just such a random little tangent that kind of connects and relates right before we even started recording there's like a little rooftop to the apartment um, that I currently live in and Jordan and I who is my husband for reference we were just sitting up there chatting and to like one side of our apartment building you see like all the lights of the city and then on one side of it it's like the other parts of Nashville where there's not really any like high-rise buildings it's just homes you know so it's like all Mm -hmm. dark but you see like the tall trees and Jordan said he's like you know what like whenever I see things like that monsters make sense like it makes sense that people made up monsters because pretend the lights of the city aren't there and this is just darkness and you're up here and you just like look out and there's all these huge giant scary trees and you don't know what's out there and he's like yeah there probably are wolves out there that turn in like humans that turn into wolves and howl at the like at the full moon and definitely like that's just of course that's what you would think like it's horrifying and it's almost like a way as a human being to like make sense of the scary things of the world almost or we had the same conversation like a couple days ago of like you know like an apple tv how it will have like different sceneries or just like pictures from around the world kind of come up on their saving screen Mm. um, Mm -hmm. or whatever the word is. But there was like one that was like this beautiful like beach cliffside, but then there was like an opening in one of them that was like this obvious like big cavern cave. And I pointed at that. I'm like, that's horrifying. And then Jordan was like, yep, there's definitely a monster in there. And so it just, I think (laughs) it's just like the way it kind of talked about, like they've been around forever because it is there. I guess that paragraph was speaking more psychologically, but even beyond Mm. psychologically of it's like, if you are a little person in this big world and there are some dark, creepy places, like it makes sense that we started creating monsters. We were talking about this at work, actually, me and my coworker, because, okay, when you were little and you would go to a sleepover, would you ever like end up waking up and someone's face would be right by you and you would like look at it for a long time and then it would like start morphing into like something else Uh so actually I just found this because I was like trying to remember what it was called I didn't end up finding the name but they did a study on it where they put like two volunteers in front of each other and like dimmed the lights and then they had them stare at each other for like 10 minutes and their face and like features start to lose meaning after time and so they said that like Throughout the experience, their features became animal traits. It would transform into like these grotesque figures. They'd lose their eyes or they'd see a face with too many eyes. They'd see dead relatives, like monsters would appear. And when you think of it like that, it's like body dysmorphia makes more sense. (laughs) Monsters make sense. If you stare at anything for too long, your brain starts playing tricks on you and it Uh changes things. And for some reason, it always tends to do it in kind of like a creepy way. They said it happens yeah. a lot with people's reflections in mirrors, like in dim lighting oh, too. Oh, okay. Yeah, because your eyes can't see as well, it like makes stuff up. 
Our imagination, I guess, is very strong. And, like, our eyes are so weird because, like, half of what you see is, like, made up by your brain, Mm -hmm. like, filling in gaps. So when, like, you can't see everything, your brain fills in some scary gaps. Interesting. (laughs) So, like, it totally makes sense that without any city lights, like, before electricity, dim candlelight, Mm -hmm. like, no wonder everyone was terrified of, like, vampires and monsters and everything else. Like, that would be freaking terrifying yeah i mean i'm scared of the dark now and like electricity mm-hmm. is one light switch away so yeah if it was truly Not dark, even a light switch you can grab your phone true. and flip on a flashlight yeah and i'm like, fine it we have light in like the palm of our hand mm-hmm. but going back to like psychologically it also is a way in stories obviously that it's like interesting to see what are the things that horrify people and so it's almost like it's so scary and so unimaginable in a person or in society so oh it's a monster and it's something that we should be afraid of and some of these like myths it's interesting to look at and then see how it's telling about culture and like what they deemed as appropriate and with every single monster that we'll talk about I can see a very obvious like patriarchal standard that's like hitting that you know what I mean So to start off the episode, we are just going to talk about the different monster myths that we have found, give a little brief synopsis Mm. of all of them, and then, yeah, I guess we'll go from there. Some are from mythology, some are from literature, some are from, like, ancient cultures and... They're from all over. All sorts of stuff. It's good variety. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Okay, well, I'll start out. So this very first one I found is called Carmilla. 26 years before Dracula arrived to give vampires their classic look, there was Carmilla from Carmilla. I never heard of that. (laughs) The suave and seductive lesbian vampire who wants to turn all your daughters into children of the night. She has unearthly beauty and the ability to turn into a giant cat. She sleeps in a coffin and she clearly represents all of 19th century England's anxieties about women. And then in parentheses, this is so funny. This article is so sassy. But then it said, like, they'll go out at night and kiss each other. And I just thought that was a funny way of wording that. It's kind of crazy that, like, 26 years before Dracula, you have Carmilla. And it's, like, this lesbian vampire. And then Dracula is the one that got popularized. I know. I know. That's what I was thinking. I mean, obviously, the folklore of vampires have been around for a very, very long time. But it's interesting that Dracula is the one that prevailed i guess okay next we've got medusa ah or the gorgons i feel like she's probably the most popular female monster for sure the funny part is i didn't know this even though we kind of talked about medusa in the feminine rage episode yeah Mm -hmm. but she had two sisters that also had snake hair Oh, I didn't know that. They all like had the same powers. And so all of them were referred to as Gorgons. Mm. And it was three sisters who had hair made of living venomous snakes and horrifying visages that turned those who beheld them into stone. So very interesting. Also, what's kind of funny is that in early Greek art in like vase painters and relief carvers, they were like Medusa and her sisters were like these ugly horrible monsters with like these monstrous forms Mm -hmm. but then in like fifth century bc 
they started envisioning as like these beautiful creatures with terrifying hair. So it turned into like a beautiful. So like the seductress that was coming to. And then that's kind of where the Medusa myth came from, where she was like this beautiful maiden that Poseidon Mm. had sex with in Athena's temple. And then Athena punished her by transforming her into Into a horrible snake. But what's also weird is that originally the two other Gorgons Mm -hmm. had immortal powers, but Medusa was not immortal. And so she was slain by Perseus, which kind of seems like a raw end of a deal that both your sisters end up immortal. And And you don't? One mortal one. Yeah. Yeah. If like you're going to be horrifying, might as well be horrifying forever. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, very traditional female monster there. Definitely. This next one is one I've heard of, I think, but it's La Llorona, but it's the weeping woman or the wailer, which is a Hispanic American mythical vengeful ghost who is said to roam areas mourning her children whom she drowned. There's like early colonial texts that provide evidence that the lore is basically that it's been around forever in those areas like and that originated in the Central Highlands. However, La Llorona is most commonly associated with the colonial era and the dynamic between the Spanish conquistadors and the indigenous women. And the most common lore about the La Llorona includes her initially being an indigenous woman who murdered her own children, which she bore from a wealthy Spaniard after he abandoned her. But the earliest documentation of La Llorona is traced back to 1550 in Mexico City. And there are theories about her story being connected to the specific Aztec mythological creation stories, The Hungry Woman, that includes a wailing woman constantly crying for food, which has been compared to La Llorona's signature nocturnal wailing for her children. So I guess the wailing woman is a staple there. You know, sometimes with these monster things, this has to come from somewhere, you know, like, mm-hmm. so what's the what's the truth here? Like, did it really happen? And now that maybe there is this person like haunting this area, I feel like it has to be based off of something or maybe it is just based off of fears like with Carmilla the vampire. Like maybe there actually wasn't a vampire or I don't know. Like I just I feel like they have to be based off of something that's real. And I want to know like what's the real actual thing that they were all based on. Yeah, that's a good question because it's like does it just come from imagination or is a lot of it like rooted in actual stories? stories? And I don't know. The ones that have been around for so long, I'm just like, okay, you know, maybe this is just the same story that like just keeps getting changed just slightly. It's like playing telephone. But I mean, if everyone has the same idea, there's got to be some truth to it. Yeah. It's fun to think about it too, is that like before they wrote all these down, it was just like talked about like probably around a campfire or something. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. like we still have it. Mm -hmm. It just blows my mind that we end up like keeping all of these despite the fact that like they didn't really like record things for a while there. Back to Greek mythology, we're talking about the fates. Who, if you've seen Hercules, are like the three funny old women. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have Hades and cut people's threads. That's actually what they were. They are also known as the Mirai, I think is what I'm saying. They were okay. personifications of destiny. And they, let's see, one was like the spinner of the thread named Clotho. Mm-hmm. The other one was the allotter of thread named Lachesis, I think is how you'd say it. And mm-hmm. then Atropis 
was the unturnable. And basically the way that it went is the spinner would like create the threads of life. Okay. The allotter would decide how much each person got. It's like how long your life was going to be like at the beginning of your life basically. There was even a lot of myths that they would like go and visit babies' cradles and like allot their string of how long their life would be. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, the unturnable, would be the one who cut the string when it was time for them to die. To die. Which is kind of funny too because like a lot of the times they're depicted as like three old women. But also Mm -hmm. a lot of the times it was depicted as like a young woman, a middle-aged woman, and an old woman in order to represent. I feel like that would make sense, like the time passing. And they weren't always considered horrible either. Like people would like welcome them to like the baby's cradle. Like they would expect it to be like a thing. They would come and visit and give their threads. Brides would like memorialize like locks of hair or something to them on their wedding, like Mm. hoping for a long life and like a good marriage. Uh Yeah. So like even though they're kind of foreboding and kind of creepy, like they weren't necessarily considered a horrible thing either. The allotters of life were women too, huh? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Which I guess is consistent with, you know, like women giving birth. Mm. I'm like, oh, that maybe is where it came from, I would imagine. I'm going to continue with the Greek mythology and my next like three or four Ooh. are I think have some connection with the Odyssey. So this first I think I have quite a few too. There's a lot of women monsters in the Odyssey. So <laughs> yeah. this next one is Circe and she is an enchantress and a minor goddess in ancient Greek mythology. She is either the daughter of the Titan Helios and the ocean Oceanid nymph Perse. Or the goddess who came in the 80s. I don't know a lot about Greek mythology, to be honest. But You're good. I think it's Hectate, right? Hectate. Thank you. I don't know. You're good. Circe was renowned for her vast knowledge of potions and herbs, though the use of these and a magic wand or staff, and through the use of these and a magic wand or a staff, she would transform her enemies or those who offended her into animals. Best known of her legend is told in the Odyssey. When Odysseus visits her island on the way back, from the trojan war and she changes most of his crew into swine i love that (laughs) have you read the odyssey because i have not i remember reading parts of it in like honors english but it's like really long isn't it yes i think so so we read like parts of it and like talked a lot about greek mythology next is another olympian Mm-hmm. Greek mythology, <laughs> mythological. It's the Furies, or I'm going to say this wrong, Erinyes. Okay. This one is kind of different. I didn't know a lot about them. Their task was to hear complaints brought by mortals against the insolence of the young to the aged, of children to parents, of hosts to guests, and of householders, of city councils to succulents, and to punish them by hounding the culprits relentlessly. Huh. So they were like hearing complaints and then they would like punish hand people? out punishments. But they're also, they sound really scary. <laughs> they were described as crones, so like old women, but they had snakes for hair, dogs' heads, coal black bodies, bats' wings, and bloodshot eyes. And in their hands, they carried brass studded scourges and their victims were said to die in torment. I mean, yeah, that sounds pretty horrible. So. <laughs> It's also assumed that they were probably the daughters of Nyx, who's the goddess of the night, because they appeared at nighttime, and they would punish you if you had been bad, I guess. So 
There we go. My <laughs> next ones are a very common one, but it is the sirens. Um, in Greek mm. mythology, they were human-like beings with alluring voices. Appear in the scene in the Odyssey in which Odysseus saves his crew's lives. Sirens actually continue to be used as a symbol for the dangerous temptation um, embodied by women regularly throughout Christian art of the medieval era. So I think it, that's interesting is that it obviously started as something in Greek mythology. When I was just reading about the Greek mythology part of it, it didn't say necessarily anything about them being women. It was just that they were human-like. But then mm-hmm. when they were used in Christian art throughout the medieval era, they became they women. women. Because obviously temptation is just women. So (laughs) you actually cannot be a sexy monster if you're a man. It's not a thing. There's no way. Um, The only and women are obviously just designed to tempt and destroy others. So that's that's what I've learned. At least we're we're being sarcastic. If you can't tell. I'd hope people know that. Yeah, I hope so, too. (laughs) The next one I've got is a classic one, of course, and I feel like there's a lot of nuance involved in this, so obviously I'm summing it up very briefly, but witches. Oh, yeah. Lots we Um, can say about that. Yeah. I know. Tons, right? Like, there's so much involved in history and mythology and folklore and everything about witches, but basically, I couldn't even really find, like, the exact origin of witches and witchcraft, which is kind of interesting. But obviously the term mainly came from medieval and early modern Europe where during the witch trials, they were women who Mm -hmm. were believed to have attacked their own community or communed with evil beings. Yes. And um, they also believed that like witchcraft could be thwarted thwarted by protective magic or counter magic, Mm -hmm. which was provided by like folk healers. And a lot of witches were intimidated, banished, attacked, killed, you know, all of the things a lot of the times they were formally prosecuted or punished if they found guilty or simply believed to be guilty because they had the stupidest tests. Uh, every time I think of it, I think of like Monty Python and the Holy Grail where they're like, yeah. does she weigh the same as a duck? Well, then she's a witch, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> obviously, there is no logic behind it. European witch hunts and witch trials in the early modern period led to tens of thousands of executions. Sometimes I feel like we underestimate like literally how many people they died yeah. that died during that time period literally crazy and obviously the majority of them were women because because witches men can't be yeah. witches a lot of the regions those accused of witchcraft were folk healers or midwives i've heard a lot of stuff recently oh. about how a lot of them were believed to have been women who were helping with very early methods of abortion because women would go in with a baby and leave without one. Oh, interesting yes mm-hmm so kind of interesting. Uh, European belief in witchcraft dwindled during and after the Age of Enlightenment. However, there's also a lot of like ideas of like magical beings in indigenous communities and outside of Europe. Apparently, there's still like modern witch hunting that happens in Africa and Asia. Oh, wow. Which was really interesting to me because basically witchcraft is just the opposite of like the healers and medicine people of their culture. Mm-hmm. So anything outside of the scope, what they consider traditional and normal yeah. is considered witchcraft. And I thought this was interesting. A lot of people believe that witchcraft was a survival of pagan religion. Yeah. Like it's not. So a lot of people believe that, but it's been discredited. So it did oh. not come from pagan origins, which is interesting. Oh. So we don't really know where it originated from. 
But that kind of goes back to what I was saying, that it's like if every single culture around the world has something about witches, I mean, maybe that means there's some truth there. Oh, I definitely think there's some truth there. Yeah, like... There has to be. There's too many, like, fairy tales and everything else surrounding, like... Witches. Magical being, you know, like, of some kind. I don't know how exactly it would be defined. Do I think they all have, like, lung pointy noses and ride-on brooms? (laughs) No, not really. But, but, (laughs) and like, sure, maybe it was there to explain things that weren't necessarily magic, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's the morsel of truth. I want to know what the truth is. Is that's all. Agreed. Obviously, the witch trials, though, just became an excuse to like kill any woman. Oh, I don't think we should kill women or, well, (laughs) I don't think we should kill the witches. (laughs) I just want to know where the truth is and if they're real. (laughs) I agree. I don't think we should actually kill really anything, but. (laughs) No, I'm generally not voting for killing. (laughs) So, you know, anyways, this episode's all over the place. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Okay, this next one is another one from the Odyssey. Calypso. In Greek mythology, Calypso was a nymph who lived on the island of Ogea, where, according to the Odyssey, she detained Odysseus for seven years. She promised him immortality if he would stay with her, but he preferred to return home. I think the story of Calypso is kind of like the needy woman. That's mean. I know. (laughs) It is mean. (laughs) And that's the, I guess, where I think the idea originally came from. She's the original needy, clingy woman. But you know what? Probably because her needs weren't being met emotionally. So as is her right. Definitely. She's in Pirates of the Caribbean, too. Oh, yeah. That's what I think of every time I think of Calypso. I forgot about that. Harpies are next. They are actually from the Roman and Byzantine era, so a little bit later than Greek. They're depicted as birds with the heads of maidens. Mm. And I love how it specified faces pale with hunger and long claws on their hands. But yeah, they were also depicted as beautiful women, but with wings or like human vultures. Yeah. Ah. And then there was a guy named Ovid who described them and he said before this man an extraordinary band of women slept seated on thrones no not women but rather gorgons i call them and yet i cannot compare them to forms of gorgons either once before i saw some creatures in a painting carrying off the feast of phineas but these are wingless in appearance black altogether disgusting they snore with repulsive breaths they drip from their eyes hateful drops their attire is not fit to bring either before the statues of the gods or into the homes of men I've never seen the tribe that produced this company, nor in the land that boasts of rearing this brood with impudence and does not grieve for its labor afterwards. Wow. So he was not a fan. No. They were immodest. <laughs> oh, no, not immodest women. <laughs> they were indecent. Never mind the fact that they were literally human vultures. He had to bring up the fact that their attire was not fitting for the homes of men. <laughs> Listen, if they were just dressed modestly, it's fine that they're eating flesh off of human beings. <laughs> just like, please yeah, do okay. it respectfully. But how dare you with your vulture body not be dressed appropriately? It's really inappropriate, honestly. <laughs> the next one is, I believe, my last one from the Odyssey, but it's Cilia and Char- Charbidus. Quote, made me giggle. The Odyssey is full to the brim with lady monsters and goddesses and witches and whatnot. There's the enchantress Circe and the singing sirens and the clingy Calypso. But most dangerous of all was the six-headed rock monster Cilia and her sea monster counterpart Charbidus. 
Bidus. In reality, these monsters were probably just a shoal of sharp rocks in a whirlpool, making it extremely dangerous for ships to pass between them. But in the Odyssey, they are both mm. beautiful women who have been transformed into hideous monsters and a punishment, and they spend their days eating sailors, sailors and wrecking entire ships. Excellent teamwork, ladies. It's a funny article we found with some of these monsters. It's very interesting that none of these women started out as hideous, right? They all yeah. have to be very clearly... They were beautiful once. Mm-hmm. They were punished. And that's why they're ugly. None of them were ugly. like there's like this weird, ever. I don't know. I'm like, what makes you get off on like beautiful women becoming horrible and coming back for revenge? Like this is like a trope that comes back a little too often. We, we love the scorned woman Definitely. too much. As a society, not us personally. Yeah, I'm like, we I would prefer them. to like not see any women scorned actually. Never. I would be a fan of that. I mean, society very few itself. women need to be scorned. Anyways. <laughs> I would personally love to not ever feel scorned. Absolutely. Again. The next one is the Sphinx. Also Greek, actually. In Greek Ooh, mythology, yeah. she has the head of a woman, the haunches of a lion, and the wings of a bird. She's mythicized as treacherous and merciless and will kill and eat those who cannot answer her riddle. Also appears in the myth and drama of Oedipus. Which, oh, yeah. Isn't she the one who told him he was going to, like, end up with his mom? I think so. <laughs> I hate to be fair <laughs> yeah. of that news. Anyway, what's funny, though, is that even though the Greek sphinx was a woman, the Egyptian sphinx was a man. Oh, and that's that what the statue that we have. Yeah. So I don't know which came first, honestly, um, yeah. or if they were both at the same time. It's weird that they're both associated with the sphinx and they both tell riddles and guard entrances to things and... Again, um, where's the truth to that, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Two very different cultures. So kind of funny. Obviously, the ancient Egyptian sphinx is a lot more popular due to, mm-hmm. like, the very large statue yes. of it in, in Egypt. Yeah. But it's just interesting to realize that the original Greek tradition and also the Egyptian one was more tame, like, more benevolent. Okay. And, like, more of a guardian whereas the greek one was treacherous and merciless and would kill and eat those who couldn't answer her riddles so kind of different there yeah interesting my next one is no longer like a greek mythology but it's the woman in black um and fun fact i think the woman in black was like the very first scary movie i actually ever saw i think it's the one with daniel radcliffe in it um it I, is yeah, yeah i remember like watching that in like seventh or eighth grade at one of my friend's houses and then i had to walk home after and i like, walked home with a boy and i was just convinced we were gonna die from the woman in black <laughs> good news we didn't but the woman in black is by susan hill is a classic gothic ghost story where the woman is dead sure but that's not going to stop her from seeking revenge on the living because when she was alive the woman in black got pregnant without getting married first and basically spent the rest of her life being punished for it and she was forced to give up her son and then to watch him sink to his death in an english marsh and so then the ghost of of course the woman in black comes and now haunts and tries to find You're her right revenge. we should totally blame the woman for that yes because never mind the fact that men were the one who had to propose and the ones who impregnate necessary yeah yep interesting that it was her fault it, it is really interesting um <laughs> which and i feel like you know this is a, definitely an example of where 
you can just very clearly see where this trope is coming from. And we talked a lot about the women who wrote gothic horror in our, man, like one of our very first episodes ever and how it very Mm -hmm. much spoke towards truth of what they were experiencing. And I like that a woman, I think only a woman could tell this ghost story. And so I want to read the original Susan Hill story. I know that would be a fun one. Mm-hmm. It'd probably be a terrifying one, but it would be a fun one. I know. It's kind of funny. When we started research for these monsters, I thought it, this was going to be like the fun, lighthearted part. And instead, it's just like, wow, this is rude and misogyny. Yeah, you can just <laughs> clearly all see all of it. Yes. <laughs> That's too bad. Um, <laughs> it is too bad. Okay, the next one is a banshee. Oh, um, yeah. Which, funnily enough, translates directly to woman of the fairy mound or a fairy woman. Oh, cool. Which is interesting because I, I would never associate a banshee with a fairy. Yeah. But yeah, it's Irish folklore. And they actually herald the death of a family member by screaming, wailing, shrieking, or keening. Oh. So another screaming woman about dying family members and then it was connected to these like mounds that dot the irish countryside that were everywhere mm-hmm. and that's where they were peering mm-hmm. and then she was depicted as having like long streaming hair a gray cloak over a green dress her eyes are red from continual weeping and she was dressed in white with red hair and a ghastly complexion and there was actually a couple of like first-hand accounts of banshees oh. out in the Irish countryside, which is so interesting. There was a lady, Anne Fawshaw, uh-huh. in her memoirs, and she talked about, like, seeing <gasps> the banshees. That's horrifying. Out on the Irish countryside. I know. Something that's also kind of crazy is that based on different regions, the size of the banshee changes a lot, which okay. is interesting. Some accounts have her standing unnaturally tall. But a lot of them actually describe her as really short, anywhere between one foot to four feet. Wow. As her depiction of like an old woman or to emphasize like the fact that she's a fairy creature. Uh-huh. I don't know. And I can't decide which one's scarier. Yeah, like a I really don't know unnaturally either. tall one or like a really unnaturally small short. I mean, I don't like that there's so many eyewitness accounts either, but you know, that's fine. No. I mean, Ireland in like the olden days when it was all like rainy and wet and yeah it probably was like really spooky yeah it (laughs) probably was (laughs) just like the breeding ground for horrifying concepts and monsters definitely you'd imagine like there can't be anything spookier than that right absolutely not (laughs) my next one we're going back to greek mythology real quick it's etch etch echidna echidna Mm-hmm. I have no idea. So she was a monster, half woman and half snake, who lived alone in a cave. And she was the mate of the fearsome monster Typhon, Typhon, who was the mother of many other famous monsters in Greek mythology. So oh. like a lot of the classic, you know, monsters. She was she was their mom. And like I said, she was a creepy half yeah. woman, half snake. I think that's another thing. <laughs> Which, okay, yep, I'm going to bring in Taylor Swift. But I feel like snakes are associated with women a lot. And maybe that is just my own personal thought. But I'm just like thinking about Medusa. And I'm thinking about how this woman is half woman and half snake. And I just feel like if you use something as an insult, you're referring to a woman. Am I completely wrong here? I think you're right. Maybe I'm wrong for associating snake with woman but i just feel like whenever snake is used it's referring 
to a woman. I don't know. Maybe I'm I think you'd be right. I think wrong. we've brought up a lot of creatures that kind of had connotations of like snakes, snakes. and stuff. Yeah. And they were all associated with women. And I wonder if it's almost like because obviously like women, logically speaking, are not like the big and scary you know, like, unfortunately, in a fist fight, a man, most men would kill me, but because yeah. of my size. <laughs> but like, snakes uh-huh. are like another thing that are deadly and are scary, but like, could also be a woman. You know what I mean? I don't know if that that's is where such it comes a good from. point. No, you're right. They're like small and dangerous. I also wonder yeah. if a lot of it has like connotations to like Adam and Eve. Oh, yeah. Oh, because Eve is the one who was tempted by the fruit and there was a snake but like i always assume that the snake in the story is a man is like a boy snake i guess i don't know if this is what the rest of the (laughs) world views the story of adam i agree but i think they like associate eve with the snake more than adam that's true yes yeah and i wonder if a lot of that is where a lot of these like female snakes snakes, yeah mythological creatures come in well and i'm curious too if like other listeners if you associate like snake with woman more maybe maybe i'm the only one who has that association but i'd be i'd be curious if other people do as well i do so cool you're not alone there two of us amazing We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. So today for a spotlight, I'm going to be covering Emily Doliner Art. She is the designer, illustrator, oversharer, and mom. And she is from North Carolina. It's just Emily and then last name D-O-L-I-N-E-R Art. And of course, you know, I love finding people who are doing festive things for the year. And she has been doing a lot of just great Halloween decorations, designs and things like that. I found this one with like called Laundry Day, where it's like this little creature is hanging up sheets on the wire, but they're ghosts. And I thought that was really cute. And yeah, she also has this one of Frankenstein and Frankenstein's bride that I really, really love. Um, And yeah, just like a lot of, just like I said, really fun prints for Halloween. And also beyond just Halloween, like if you scroll back, there's just all kinds of beautiful designs that she has. So <laughs> like making spirits bright, but then she crosses up bright and it's mm. the Grim Reaper with a bunch of ghosts. I know, but <laughs> the Grim funny. Reaper is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's the cutest Like thing. this is like the perfect cross between like spooky Halloween and like Adorable. cute Halloween. Yeah, I love, I love cute Halloween. Yeah. That is my favorite aesthetic. <laughs> I know, it's adorable. Literally dead, ghosted. I love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> Very, very cute. You're just my type, but it's Dracula saying it. Uh Uh-huh. Blood type. Or even just this like cute little one that just says boo to you. And I think it's Mm -hmm. so cute. So a lot of fun, cute Halloween prints. But even beyond that, she looks like she's been doing stuff all year round. So lovely. Well, I have another TikToker as always. Spent so much time on TikTok. This is Piper. And you've probably seen her on your For You page mm-hmm. at some point. She has a master's in folklore. And she talks a lot about like fairies and fairy circles and mermaids and grim reapers and sealies and unsealies, like things that we talked about in this episode, but from all different spheres and ideas and cultures and stuff and everything. It's 
very fascinating. That very is cool. cool. So highly, highly recommend it. She also <laughs> talks a lot about like the tooth fairy and how creepy that is. Like, don't give mm-hmm. your teeth to fairies. <laughs> What's the username <laughs> like, again? Piper CG CJ. Why can't why do I mess those letters up? That's dumb. Piper CJ. Oh yeah. On cool. TikTok. It's also Piper underscore CJ on Instagram. Cool. Um, and she's also an author. She wrote a fantasy novel called The Night and Its Moon. Oh, no way. Um, she describes that as a, a bi fantasy. So um, she's queer and she writes for queer people and with queer characters. I guess that um, would make sense. Like if you're going to get a master's in folklore, like, oh, cool. Yeah. Now you can probably write really good stories with like folklore yes. stuff. <laughs> Definitely. And she's like fascinating, like the things she talks about and like she describes folklore like so well too because she talks about how folklore is just the belief of the people uh-huh. and so like we can create like modern folklore all the time it's just whatever a collective group of people believe in yeah so it like changes constantly and like becomes like new and all sorts of stuff so like people will be like well it's this folklore and she'll be like well does the collective people believe in it then yeah it's folklore well, that's so, cool i like that yeah, really interesting. I've loved a lot of her videos. Some of them creep me out because they're about scary things. Fair. Um, and <laughs> and some of them are really cool. So there we go. Yes, highly recommend. She's been a joy to follow. And you can also check out her book if that's something you like. I personally can't read fantasy novels. So really? I try and I just never finish them. Interesting. Yeah, the last one I read was the... Court of Thorn and Roses, uh-huh. and I finished the first one, started the second one, and then I just never picked it up again. Well, that's fair. <laughs> I like the second book in that series, but eh. I like fantasy. I just can't ever get invested in it because I feel like my brain is just like, oh, that's too far. You know what I mean? Like, like I can't suspend disbelief enough. It's too fake. Interesting. Yeah, which is dumb. See, I'm almost the opposite where I'm like, if it's too realistic fiction, I'm just like, this is too close to real life that I'm like, why would I read this? I can just like go like listen to someone tell me their story. You know what I mean? Like I need it to almost be fake. Like it needs to be fantasy or it needs to be a crazy circumstance or else I almost don't see the point of reading the story. Interesting. I feel like I need to give fantasy another try. Guess you had to find like a really good one or one that's like not like maybe just like hints of magic yeah like i loved twilight and i think maybe that's the perfect yeah thing for me where it exists in both the human world and yeah you need humans yeah because that was the problem with the cord and thorn of roses i can't imagine myself living in a medieval town i've never done that okay that's fair so you <laughs> so... need to be able to see yourself in characters that's fair anyway yeah i've also heard she has a second book coming out so oh lots of opportunity there for support all right now back to the show Okay, this next one is another Irish folklore. I'm probably saying it wrong, but it's Bananak. Okay. Bananak or Bananas. But this is interesting. They actually haunted battlefields. Oh. Um, So they were like these screaming female demons or specters. They would be drawn in by violence and they would circle the skies over combat and then Mm. like scream. And I don't know if they were like, happy about the battle or like mad i'm assuming it was a way to like ward off the violence i don't know 
but they were associated with like corpse like appearances too because they were like described as like really pale like a dead mm-hmm. creature so yeah. kind of interesting this next one is aswang aswang mm. okay have you ever seen the show grim no i actually haven't i feel like i mentioned this before there's a show on Amazon Prime called Grimm. Cool. It's about this guy who can see creatures because okay. he's descended from the Grimm brothers who wrote the original fairy tales. Oh. So it's like the original Grimm fairy tales. That's so cool. he can see them, but cool no one else can. Uh-huh. And they did an entire episode on the Aswang, and I don't think it's the actual traditional story of it, but it's terrifying. So I'll tell you first, explain the mythological, and then I'm going to explain why this is like literally freaked me out forever okay cool well yeah now i'm curious to see (laughs) how close this is but from what i was able to find is that this is like an umbrella term for various shape-shifting evil creatures in filipino folklore such as like vampires ghouls witches viscera suckers is what it said and were beasts Um, the Aswang is the subject of a wide variety of myths, stories, arts, and films. It is well known throughout, though, the Philippines. According to Maximo Ramos, the term Aswang can be thought of as an egregious term for the multitude of Filipino supernatural creatures. These creatures can be organized into the five categories that parallel kind of like the, I guess, the creatures we're most familiar with, which, like I mentioned, are the vampire um, the viscerous sucker, the were dog, the witch, and the ghoul. But then it also mentioned that the vampire one disguises itself in the shape of a beautiful woman, usually. Mm. So how okay. does that match up with what you uh, or you know from this yeah. show? It's a little different, but kind of similar. I'd say it's most similar to a vampire. But the way that they describe them is that it's still fi- Filipino. Okay. Um, but it's like when a woman's first grandchild from her son okay so like okay a woman has a son when he has his first baby the aswang would come in in the night and eat the baby out of the woman's womb with Ah. like this long tongue before it was born in order to live longer so they would only do it with the firstborn baby and then oh. it would be like considered a miscarriage because all the amniotic fluid and stuff would disappear. Uh-huh. And then um, she would live longer. And then that's horrifying. They Terrifying. And it's a horrifying episode. Like, <laughs> obviously, it's so scary because like the guy runs away from his family. He doesn't want to participate in the tradition. He doesn't want to give up his baby's life in order to keep his mom alive. But then she like shows up and like goes after his wife who knows nothing about this. Oh, and creepy. It's like one of the creepiest creatures in the entire series. And they cover a lot of creepy creatures. Mm-hmm. But that episode literally is like haunting because it is the most terrifying thing. That so, is horrifying. Anyway, I highly recommend the show. It's really cool. But that episode was spooky. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. <laughs> I wonder if that is like something specific to the vampire Aswang. But like I said, it, apparently it's like kind of an umbrella term for like any shape-shifting creature that's yeah so i assume there's probably some mythology surrounding that because i think the actor they have like talking about it and everything is filipino okay Um, cool it was like maybe that's just like one of the legends creepy yeah Yeah. anyway the next one is another one i'd never heard of that's really cool called el nadaha um it's kind of like an egyptian siren uh they call her like the siren of the nile a lot of the mm-hmm. time, or the caller is what her name directly translates to. 
Okay. But she calls men to the Nile to their death and drowns Ooh. them in the Nile. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like <laughs> it's a, a myth that's yes, but specifically with the Nile. Interesting. Okay, yeah. Um it's especially well known in rural Egypt, but all along the Nile and the Nile's water canals, like this myth continues. Uh-huh. And El Nadaha takes the form of a stunningly beautiful woman who appears as if by chance to men walking by the Nile or by the Nile's water canals at night. The men are usually in a pair, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, the creature think calls one alone. by right. It calls one of them by his first name, and it mm-hmm. renders him speechless, hypnotized, and obedient to her voice, which he blindly follows, while the other man is unaffected and attempts to pull the other back. The creature calls in a soft, sleepy, hypnotizing voice until the second unaffected man succeeds at last in reviving the called man from his trance, and the two run away as fast as they can, hearing her voice echo as they run. It said usually the men who survive don't get close enough to get a glimpse of what she looks like, but in rare instances they get a glimpse of her. She's very beautiful, tall, slender, long flowing hair down her back, Mm -hmm. and stands steadily near the bank of the river, hands placed at her side, wearing a loose, long, semi-transparent, of course, dress. <laughs> and a lot of the times they even describe her as having a semi-transparent body, which oh. is more interesting to me than any other one. <laughs> like, so she's a ghost. And they say her voice is calm and soft and yet really loud. And then it says in rural Egypt, where the legend is more prominent, the creature may call for men in their homes by the shores of the Nile, who then eagerly attempt to leave home for her. And in other tales, the affected man will not immediately try to follow, but he will either enter into a state of disturbed distraction for a few nights before at least departing late at night. And then also, this is what's interesting, people in rural Egypt believe that a man who is called by her is doomed, curing him is impossible, and not a single instance has been recorded where a man is seen devoured by her, but a lot of old local citizens believe that she eats her victims after she drowns them in the Nile. Wow. They never find their bodies. And they also believe that any man who prevents the called man from reaching for the creature by any means is the next one to be called. Oh. Sounds to me that this is an excuse for men who are running off, maybe, but I don't know. I <laughs> maybe that's right? not the case. Like, it's called the El Nadaha. Mm-hmm. But it also is very spooky. It is spooky. Like, spooky, absolutely. A water spirit. It's also interesting how many like associations we have with like water monsters. Yeah. Right? I mean the water and the ocean is probably one of the most horrifying things ever. So that <clears throat> makes sense that there is so much lore about horrifying things in the ocean. Agreed. Especially because we know so very little about it. Yeah. Like don't we like literally know less about the ocean that we than we do about space? Yes. And that that because we, yeah. there's nothing scary. Because get that. this. We have developed science to a point where it is more likely for us to be able to look out into the vast openness of space than it is to look down into the water. That is and that's crazy. so scary. Like, oh. Yeah. Open water. Because the pressure is too intense. Yeah. It's just, blah. It's spooky. Water freaks me out. Water also freaks me out. I didn't learn to swim until like so much later in my life than I should have. And it was because I am literally terrified of water. And still to this day, like I prefer not to be in like open water that's deep without a life jacket. No, 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 no. Because I don't trust it. 
So many people die in water. So many so people scary. Die. It's too easy, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, don't trust it either. This is my last one. So this one is Car Carthanoc. It's like also an Irish one, similar to the one that you said. So this is the mother of all demons. So she is one of the greatest foes that St. Patrick has ever said to face. The demon has said to give birth to the devil himself and for hundreds of years pr produced many offspring that caused havoc all across Ireland. When the planet was just a swirling mass of vapors, waters, and rock, she was hatched deep inside the molten core of Earth. There she waited. But what was she waiting for? Well, being that she was, after all, the mother of the devil, she wasn't a very nice creature, this fire spitter. Okay, the article that I found describing her is my favorite. Okay, so she was waiting for us, humans, pray for her demon spawn children, and in particular, her son. True enough, she and her children were waiting for us, and oh, did Carthanox's family have fun once we got here. So basically, the story is pretty much like all bad things have happened from her demons and then through this big battle you know saint patrick defeated her but legend has it though that she is not dead nor banished but simply waiting after all she waited for the first of man so patiently her demon spawn still roams the earth in one form or another and her son her son unfortunately still holds his seat in the underworld so mm. mother of all demons you know what that deal. reminded me of what it reminded me of remember at the beginning of like the ukraine and russian war everyone was talking about what's his face the ruler of russia putin putin is that who he is? yeah and they were like that lady came up with a poem that was like if i was his mother <laughs> yes. then he wouldn't exist was, or if it's like if i was your mother wasn't it like i would have loved you and i would have held you what Ooh. yeah and I it's like and we that. wouldn't be having this problem because i would have done better and it's like really we can't blame men for their own actions we also have to blame like their mother oh my gosh i remember how uh, that was just, you know what i hate using this word but that was pretty cringe like that was just bad it wasn't good and it was it made me just full body cringe so i agree all. completely it was a very awkward time luckily the internet didn't embrace it. They also had a visceral reaction. Yeah, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was a horrible thing. Anyway, so I'm like, of course we had to invent the mother of Satan as a horrible creature that created him. Not like we can't the just devil have himself. The devil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To blame his mother. Anyway, I wanted to bring up an honorable mention because cool. the Loch Ness Monster, oh, who yeah. is Scottish folklore, obviously we don't know the gender of the Loch Ness Monster. It is a sea creature yes large and long-necked and people have seen it since 1933 yes. which is so fun and it makes me want to go visit scotland and go look at loch ness and anyway way fun but because of its nickname as nessie it has been widely considered a female creature for a very long time so thought that was oh funny. yeah we call it a her which is hilarious to me because we have no idea how dare we put a gender on the Loch Ness Monster, but... <laughs> True. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so it's an honorable mention, but the last one I'm going to end with is actually terrifying, like a little creeped out. Okay, okay, I'm ready. So this is Black Annis. It's also known as Black Agnes or Black Anna, and it's a boogeyman figure from English folklore, or should I say a boogie woman figure? Mm -hmm. She's imagined as a blue-faced hag or a witch with iron claws and a taste for human flesh, especially children. 
She's said to haunt the countryside of Leicestershire, living in a cave in Dane Hills with a great oak tree at the entrance. And she ventures out at night looking for unsuspecting children and lambs to eat and then tans their skins, hangs them on a tree, and then wears them around her waist. She reaches inside houses to snatch people and uses her iron claws to dig her cave out of the side of a standstone cliff. Um, the legend led to parents warning their children that Black Annis would get them if they didn't behave. And she's also said to hide in the branches of her oak tree waiting to leap upon unsuspecting prey. That is Other traditions state when she ground her teeth, they could hear her. And so it would give them time to bolt their doors and keep away from the window so that she couldn't get them. Yeah. And it's also why they said a lot of cottages were built with small windows so that she could only get a single arm inside. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and when she howled, she could be heard from five miles away, and then the cottagers would fasten skins across the window and place protective herbs above it to keep themselves safe. They sound, like, really terrified of her. Yeah. So. <laughs> Horrifying. A lot of the times I wonder, I'm like, do you think parents invented a lot of these monsters to, like, make their children behave because they couldn't, well, like, ground them? They couldn't be like, no cell phone. That is also what I said to Jordan when I was looking at the – at the trees of like you know what i would tell our children don't go in there because oh because there's a monster in there and it will eat you yeah because that's gonna scare them more than like well we don't want you to get lost <laughs> exactly because they'll be like i won't get lost mm -hmm. so yeah i wonder about that a lot like the whole santa claus thing right like you get children to behave around christmas for sure at least he's not evil True. A lot of other countries. If you want to hear about some of the evil ones of getting children to behave, go listen to our Christmas go listen episode. To our episode from last year. Yes. <laughs> True. So, kind of to wrap this up, I think it's funny. Like we've kind of talked about this throughout, but mm -hmm. it's really hilarious that like with how many terrifying like popular myths of creatures there are. Yeah. The women are the ones that we talk about the least. When yet it tended to be like one of the most common monsters in like early mythology like even think of greece obviously they had like tons of monsters yeah they had so many female ones uh-huh and then the way they depicted them like we talked about they were all beautiful they were all like you know they all started <laughs> that way yes <laughs> yeah they were all scorned later on and it's just interesting there's a quote that says the tales that female monsters reveal more about the patriarchal constraints placed on womanhood than they do about women themselves. Yes. And I think that that's very fair, that a lot of the times these monster stories aren't really talking about the true nature of womanhood. Mm -hmm. It's more about the life of a woman in this world we live in. Mm -hmm. I like the examples I gave too of like Medusa struck fear into ancient hearts because she was both deceptively beautiful and hideously ugly. Char bitus terrified odysseus and his men because she represented a churning pit of bottomless hunger so you know like you said it's not womanhood it's like a reflection of like what man is most afraid of and mm -hmm. yeah um there is i think there's like a book called women and other monsters building a new mythology there is yes so in this essay collection um, she re-examines the monsters of antiquity through a feminist lens and quote, women have been monsters and monsters have been women in centuries worth of stories because stories are a way to encode these expectations and pass them on. And it's just Zimmerman that it's by, by the way. I don't know mm -hmm. if I said that. So it's again, I'm, I'm interested in that book. I feel like that could be a really good one for next October. Definitely. 
I also found this amazing essay titled Monsters and Mad Women Changing the Female Gothic mm-hmm. by Karen F. Stein. Love her last name. Very Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Stein. Very fitting. Yes, which is so fun. But she talks a lot about like gothic literature and like the early births of like monsters through women's lenses Mm -hmm. and women writers which ties in like you talked about earlier to the early 19th century female gothic Mm -hmm. horror authors like there is a lot that she talks about but it's very long I would love to sit and read it all to all of you because it's amazing (laughs) but we do not have that kind of time but she talks about how like the gothic explores the darker side of a woman that they feel a lot of the times in their life Mm -hmm. she says monsters are particularly prominent in the work of women writers because for women the roles of rebel outcast seeker of truth are monstrous in themselves for a man to rebel to leave a comfortable home and to search for truth are noble acts but for a woman to do it is bizarre crazy or monstrous ah yeah and i thought that was such a good point And that a lot of the times what these women were dealing with were like these deep-seated conflicts between like being a socially acceptable feminine self. Yeah. And then they're like suppressed, monstrous, hidden self. And it reminded me of this quote I found on Pinterest. (laughs) Love Pinterest. (laughs) A while ago. And it said, almost every woman I have ever met has a secret belief that she's just on the edge of madness. That there's some Mm. deep, crazy part within her that she must be on guard constantly against losing control of her temper, of her appetite, of her sexuality, of her feelings, of her ambition, of her secret fantasies, and of her mind. And that's by Elena Dykewoman. I love and, that. Yes. Yes. It just, like, it makes sense, right? That, like, And I think mm-hmm. I felt that, too, that there's just times as a woman where you're just like, I could go nuts right now. Like, I'm holding on yeah. by a thread, and, like, I could go smash a card of bits with a baseball bat, and it would feel perfectly normal because there's just so much like within us that we're like constantly reigning in and I think it comes from like the world we live in where we all see ourselves of women as monsters and I think that's why like Taylor Swift's anti-hero is like so (laughs) good too because like when she describes herself as like she imagines herself as a monster on the hill, you know, like too big to hang out with everyone. Like we just always feel like other. Yes, absolutely. And that like any negative emotion is inherently bad and therefore monstrous and something that should be something that we should be ashamed of. Yes. As opposed to like properly dealt with and processed and considered, you know? (laughs) And she also talked about how like men in literature and in society are allowed to be be seen as unique and complex but like women are fit into these stereotypes and like Mm -hmm. women have had stereotypes since the beginning of time that they continue to have to fit into like saint and center virgin whore nurturing mother devouring stepmother an angel or a witch like a glinda the good witch or you know the bad witch like you can't be both you have to be one or the other you're not allowed to be active you have to be passive you have to be self-sacrificing you have to be meek like you can't be anything other than like good because that no longer allows you to be a woman anymore no absolutely I love that yeah just crazy and she also I'm just going to bring this up briefly but she goes a lot into um the bell jar and Jane Eyre but she also talks about Frankenstein which I thought was really cool because Frankenstein is about a male monster yeah but because it's written by a female Uh let me see if I can find it she says 
Um, Frankenstein embodies Mary Shelley's version of the split self theme in her obsessive scientist and her grotesque human-like monster. While most interpretations of this book stress its universal human theme, Ellen Moore sees it as uniquely female, a product of its author's experiences of childbirth and death. Mm. Moore's reads the book as a discussion of the parent-child bond, but it could also be reviewed as an exploration of the creating-relating duality, where it's a woman's conflict between her independent endeavors and her dependent emotionality. So it just like talks about how like a lot of times people look at it as like a birth thing or something where if you look at it more as like a duality thing where like one is the scientist, one is the monster. They're both monsters, but they're handling it in different ways. ways. Yeah. Okay. And how it's like one could be the way that society expects someone to handle a conflict and the other one is the way that like you more naturally would Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Yes. I like that. So really, really interesting. Yeah, because she's like the Frankenstein. He's cut off from his family and society. He's not allowed any sympathy. He's grotesque and ugly and Uh the way he handles it. Whereas Frankenstein does. Yeah, like Frankenstein is probably like more societally like he buries it down. He ignores the problem. He... You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't do things right either, but. Yeah. And if you look at it, they're very like human emotions. Absolutely. Well, one's allowed to express it and the other one's not. And like what society expects of women, like no emotions, no anger, no feelings. You must be yeah. submissive, passive, perfect at all times. Also the fact that like Frankenstein's allowed to be ugly. He's like a reanimated yeah. dead body. But when has a woman ever been allowed to be ugly? True. Never. Like, yeah. even Medusa, she once was ugly, and they turned her into someone who was beautiful and then made ugly. Yeah. Or someone who's beautiful but just has snakes on her head. Like, no female monster is even allowed to be grotesque. Yeah. The only ones that are allowed to be ugly are old. True. <laughs> so, which says a lot about how we view women when they age. Yes, that's what no, I was literally just... just about to say. I'm like, well, it's almost <laughs> like aging is, like, another part of this conversation. It's just interesting. So anyway, they talk a lot about like other gothic novels of the time and just like how it tells more about the constraints that women felt at that time on themselves Mm -hmm. Um, and like the masks that they feel like they have to have in order to hide like the monstrous parts of themselves and be able to. I love this part. It says, at some point, the mask is no longer a convenient defense, but a trap. The woman is then confronted with her own terrifying split between monstrous inner drives and nice outward appearances. What is she to do then? If she strives for personal achievement, she risks isolation and scorn. If she continues to wear the mask, she denies her own personhood. Wow. Anyway, Amazing. there's a lot. I know. I'm like, I feel like that's like a whole episode is just that, that whole article or essay in the future. <laughs> it was so good. We should allow women to be mad and angry and ugly and you know like (laughs) men are allowed to be all those things (laughs) i feel like and that's such a topic we cover all the time and with good reason i'm not saying we've exhausted the subject it's just that when we have a whole episode on women rage and yeah it's just an ever-present theme that you can find in any aspect like even when you're like oh what's a fun like halloween angle we could take oh cool women are still angry and you can like find that everywhere (laughs) 
of women expressing their rage in different ways or you know the rage being personified in ways that is just completely horrifying as opposed to something like I said that like should be considered as as not crazy you know like as real because I think Mm -hmm. it's also it's just so common to be like oh they're just the crazy crazy girlfriend or the crazy ex-girlfriend or the crazy this so it's like okay but like what drove them there like what (laughs) yeah what are we talking about here and I would everyone should go listen to our episode on women female rage because that was also a really good one I think and we talk a lot about that on that episode as well so shout out to previous episode 100% it's a good one anyway so yeah that is female monsters they're just actually really angry women for probably a good reason for probably (laughs) good reason and allow yourself to be a monster in at least one aspect of your life I mean, yes. you know, I guess personally with how you express yourself, like obviously, you know what I mean by that. But I think like the older I get, the more I'm like trying to learn how to embrace my emotions. I agree. And letting anger be one of them. And like, how do I, I actually like do that healthily times- now? Yes, because women are so quick to embrace sadness mm-hmm. because it's delicate and beautiful. Mm-hmm. But like. Do we allow ourselves to embrace like the ugly emotions too? Like, no, I just, no, we don't bury them down. And like, the thing is too, is it's like, obviously anger in general is not a good thing and it is something that needs to be controlled so that it doesn't blow up your life. But like, also it is an emotion that demands to be felt and will bubble up and bubble out eventually. And so, yeah, I feel like too, that's something like I'm learning like as a 25 year old woman, I'm like, wait, how do I be angry? And like, how do I allow myself to be angry, but yet still, you know, like be a functioning person who can move on with my life? In our rage episode, I think we talked about that there's a difference between anger and like something else and that one of them is like bad and will like fester away at you. Okay. And the other one's not. Yeah, I think I remember that too, but I'm trying to remember like what we even actually talked about. Bitter. Bitterness is bad. Bitterness will eat you alive. Oh, bitterness. But if you allow... But anger is good. You just have to find a good way to express it. So yeah, it talks about how men is like men are allowed to be angry. It's like practically the only emotion they're allowed to feel, which isn't fair to them either. No, absolutely not. (laughs) But then women are allowed to be anything except for angry. Yes. Because it's considered unfeminine, unattractive, and selfish. Which? And it will make you ugly and twist your faces. This does. You remember when you were little, your parents being like, don't leave your face like that. It will get stuck. Yeah. 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 Uh, which like also this doesn't just like help women like this helps men if you know it helps mm-hmm. everyone if we change this so yeah I think anger is something we've all got to feel got to let it got to let it out yeah got to let it out so that you don't end up drowning men in the Nile for the rest of your otherworldly existence because yes. you're so mad I mean <laughs> and you know what some things drive you there I get it but let's not you know that's not murder that's that's usually a good that's too far yeah it's probably too far i mean there's probably way more like mythical female monsters that are out there i'm sure there's a lot so if there's any that are your favorites um feel free to share them in instagram comments we'd love to hear more about them Mm -hmm. and follow us on instagram and yeah it's the end of monster month but hey if you have any i ideas for future episodes for halloween themed or anything let us know because yeah i think october is literally my favorite month of the podcast so agreed it's just so much fun we'll be back with another episode next monday it won't be spooky anymore but it will still be 
as frightening as this world is so yep as frightening <laughs> as this world really truly is so ugh. it's pretty terrifying yes and please please check out our bonus episode of frankenstein when that comes out as well so absolutely and that will be coming soon yes it will okay bye Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.